0: Amen. God wants to encourage us tonight to face our fears. He is telling us that he will strengthen us as we face our fears. In the midst of our fears, he will uphold us. Genesis 32, where we're going to be at tonight, is all about facing our fears. Jacob's greatest fear is facing his own brother. Remember, he had duped his brother with the help of his mother out of the blessing that he wanted from his father. And ever since then, Jacob was running for his life from Esau. In the next chapter, we're going to see these two brothers meet. But that's for next week. Tonight, it's all about What does God do to prepare Jacob to face his greatest fear? And the things that God does with Jacob and for Jacob, he'll do for and with us as well. It might look a little different, but in principle, it's the same. And you and I can do the same things that Jacob did in this passage as well. So it's very applicable. In fact, I have referred to this chapter many, many times in my life to encourage me in facing my fears, and I've certainly used this a lot over the years to encourage other Christians in facing the things that they are afraid of as well. Notice, first of all, in Genesis 32, these words. So Jacob went on his way, And the angels, plural, the messengers of God, met him. And when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanim. The first thing I want us to note is that Jacob was on the path of obedience. God wasn't going to let this situation with his brother hang out there. God needed to bring reconciliation to these brothers and God needed Jacob to get over this fear because God had a plan and purpose for Jacob's life and that plan and purpose didn't include these things not being resolved. God has a plan and purpose for each of us. And there may be some things in our own life like Jacob that are hanging out there, that are unresolved, and that we know down deep in our our heart and our soul that God wants us to get some resolution with those things because we need to in order to move on and move further with God. That's where Jacob was. And so he was on the path Of obedience here going towards a meeting with his brother and it is on the path of obedience that God reassures him I want us to be reminded of that God will always bring reassurance to us when we are on the path of obedience when we're doing what he's asking us to do Even if we're afraid, because God will meet us where we are and strengthen us as we face our fears. God strengthens our faith not by removing the pressures of life, but by sustaining us through the pressures of life. Let me repeat that, because that's important for all of us to be reminded of. God grows and strengthens our faith, not by removing the pressures of life, but by sustaining us through the pressures of life. And that's what he was doing here with Jacob. And the first thing he does is he sends an army of angels down to Jacob. You see that there in the first couple of verses. It wasn't just one angel. It was a bunch of angels. In fact, we know it must have been a great host of angels because Jacob, when he saw them, he says, this is the camp of God. He's using a word in the Hebrew that literally speaks about the encampment of an army. He's basically saying, I'm through God's, you know, vision, I'm able to see this encampment of angels. They they are an army here with me. Why is God doing that? Why is God giving him that vision, if you will, to be able to see this encampment of an army of angels so that he would realize that God is with him and that he's surrounded by an angelic host at all times? So he renames the place Mehenim, which literally means two camps. And that's something you and I have to be reminded of. We always have two camps with us. We have our own camp where we're at physically, and we have the camp of God right there with us as well. We are always surrounded, if you will, by an angelic host, And God wants his people to always live with an awareness of the unseen realities that he reveals to us. He has told us, I'm with you always. He told Jacob that. And yet, though Jacob maybe could not physically see God, he wanted Jacob to know, I'm with you. And I want you to know not only am I with you, but this angelic host that is at my disposal is with you as well. At all times, you're surrounded. This encounter of Jacob with these angels reminds me of the story in 2 Kings about Elisha. The Syrian king is fed up with Elisha, and he sends his army after Elisha to kill him. And it's just Elisha and his servant Gehazi, and they're out there in the middle of nowhere, and he sends his servant out to see what's going on, and the servant goes out and sees the Syrian army approaching. Thousands of Syrian soldiers. And he comes back in with his knees shaking and, you know, boots knocking, and he's scared to death. And he goes, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha, the prophet of God, calmly says to him, our side outnumbers theirs. And Gehazi's gone, uh, there's two of us, and there's thousands of them. And then Elisha prays and says, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord gives Gehazi the ability to look up on the mountain to see the angelic armies that are encircling them, and the Syrian army. It's exactly what God did with Jacob. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to live in light of the unseen realities. Though we may not see God physically, he's always right there with us. Though we may not see the angel armies, they're right there beside us, surrounding us at all times. We live with two camps, the camp of God and our own camp. Verse 3. God sent, mess or Jacob sent messengers on ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the region of Edom. He commanded him, this is what you must say to my Lord Esau. This is what your servant Jacob says. I've been staying with Laban until now. I have oxen, donkeys, sheep, and male and female servants. I have sent this message to inform my Lord so that I might find favor in your sight. Why is Jacob informing his brothers about How God has blessed him so much? Not to brag, but to simply tell his brother, I'm not looking for anything from you. I don't want anything. I'm good. I just want us to be reconciled. And remember, as far as Jacob is concerned, when his brother sees him, he's going to kill him. That's where he's at. The messengers, verse 6, returned to Jacob and said, We went to your brother Esau. He is coming to meet you and has 400 men with him. (laughs) So Jacob, notice, was very afraid and upset. I'm sure even after seeing those angels, it wasn't enough. He was still gripped by fear. It's like... I know in my head they're there, but my brother's coming at me, and he's got 400 men with him. I'm done. This is the end. So notice Jacob planning. And there's nothing wrong with planning. God wants us to do our part with the information that we have. So Jacob actually is being pretty prudent here under the circumstances. He divides the people who were with him into two camps as well as the flocks, herds, and camels and said basically if Esau attacks one camp, then at least one camp will escape. He won't get all of us. Then Jacob prayed. Oh, God is growing this man's faith. But he's growing this man's faith faith by using the circumstances to force Jacob, just like he will force us, to rely totally on him and only on him. Remember, Jacob from way back is this manipulator, this deceiver, this, this guy who takes matters into his own hands and always has a plan, always has something in the background going. And God wants to get him to the end of himself so he will learn once and for all, I, Jacob, am all that you need. I need you to totally learn to rely on me and only on me. And I need you to face the greatest fear of your life, which is Esau, so that you will see that I'm with you. Remember, and we're going to see this in just a moment, God told him the first time he met him at Bethel, I'm with you, I will protect you, and I will bring you back to this land. So if he would have truly trusted in the word of God by faith, he wouldn't have feared his brother because he would have known, well, God told me he's bringing me back, so... Somehow, some way, I'm going to escape from my brother, or my brother's not going to kill me, or something. But again, just like us, our faith and our fears struggle against each other to totally just give it all over to God. So I commend Jacob for this. After he plans, he prays. And it's always good to pray in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our crisis. Why? Because as we've learned tonight, even through our time of worship, in the presence of God, our fears can begin to melt. Because we learned that in the midst of our fears, God will sustain us and uphold us. And that's why worship and prayer and all of those things are so vitally important because they connect us to the person of God, and they bring us into the presence of God. And that's where we need to be as we sort of wrestle, if you will, with our emotions and our feelings and our fears and all of those things. And notice some aspects of this prayer. First of all, notice that he contemplates his God. That's always a good thing in prayer. Start with God and remind ourselves who our God is. Jesus even sort of taught that in the model prayer. Pray this way Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about God first, right? Getting our focus on God. And so Jacob prays, O God of my father Abraham, my grandfather. I saw how faithful you were to him. Oh, God of my father Isaac, I saw how you worked in my father's life as well. Oh, Lord. And notice he uses Elohim, Elohim, Jehovah as he's contemplating his God. He's reminding himself about the fact that his God is mighty, almighty, that he is is able to save that he is able to rescue, that he's able to deliver, that he's a covenant-keeping God, that he's trustworthy, reliable, dependable. He will keep his promises. In a sense, by contemplating his God, he's reminding himself at the very outset of his prayer of who God is. Again, that's why worship and prayer are so important because in both of those, we hopefully are reminding ourselves of who our God is and who he is to us. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reassured of that as we face our fears, especially in this life. Then notice three other things. He contemplates God's direction in his life. He says, oh, Lord, you're the one that said to me, return to your land and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper.'" I'm where I'm at under your direction and leadership. I'm not here because I want to be here. I'm here because you've led me here. And then he is also in his prayer being reminded of how unworthy he is and of God's grace, not only of God's direction in his life, but God's grace when he says in verse 10, I'm not worthy of all the faithful love you've shown your servant." With only my walking stick, I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. (laughs) He's basically saying, I entered with nothing, and now I've got more than enough, and it's all because of you, and I don't deserve any of it, and it's all from your hand. Those are always great words and a great perspective to have when we're in the presence of God, reminding ourselves all that we have came from the hand of God, and we deserve nothing. And then, as he's talking to his God, contemplating him, his direction, his grace, he also then cries out for deliverance. Verse 11, rescue me. And notice, he's very specific, as we should be in our prayers. He says, rescue me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come back and attack me, as well as the mothers with their children. He's being very open, very honest very raw, very, very transparent before he's God. He's like, God, I'm afraid of my brother. I'm afraid he's going to kill me. Please help. Please rescue. Please deliver. And God loves this because, again, as Jacob is willing to face his fears, God is continuing to strengthen him, sustain him, and uphold him as he faces his fears. And then he ends his prayer basing his prayer on the promises of God. Verse 12, you said, I will certainly make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand on the seashore, too numerous to count. And what he's doing there is he's recounting the promise that God made to him where? At Bethel. God is, that that Bethel experience just always was a marker in Jacob's life. And God is, glad of that. God wants us to have those Bethel experiences, if you will, where we go back and go, you know what? The same God that was with me there is the same God that's with me now and the same God that will take me the rest of the way. Now, verses 13 through 21, again, Jacob plans. He, you know, he's praying, he's planning. He's doing the things that he thinks he should do humanly as he sees God working in his life to bring him to a place of faith and strength. And what he does is he sends all these gifts to his brother Esau. I mean, you look at it, verse, he's sending a mess of stuff. And why is he doing this? Well, he's doing this because he's hoping that these gifts will somehow soften his brother's response to him, somehow, in a sense, ease the blow. I'm going to give you all these gifts so you don't kill me, you know. But the thing that he has to face, the thing that he has to realize, and, and he does, is that no matter how many gifts he gives Esau, he cannot guarantee that Esau is going to have a change of heart towards him. Because that's the way that works. Only God can change people's hearts. And so, no matter how many gifts Jacob gives, he's still got to face his brother with that uncertainty because he has no guarantees that somehow, once Esau receives and sees all these gifts, he's going to go, Oh, what a brother. All's forgotten. Let's just pretend like nothing. No, he doesn't know. In fact, look at verse 20. He's, again, very honest. He says, I will first appease him by sending a gift ahead of me. After that, then I'll meet him. It's sort of like, let the gifts go first. Then perhaps he will accept me. So the gifts were sent on ahead of him while he spent that night in the camp. And then we come to the final passage of Scripture, the one that most people recall out of this passage. And can I say, too, that one of the reasons I think it's so important that we study the Word of God in context is because so many people know this next passage, this story of Jacob wrestling with God, but they don't know the context that it's in, and that is so important. When does this wrestling match with God happen with Jacob? It happens when Jacob is struggling to face his greatest fear of his life. It happens because God wants to come down to Jacob and he wants to allow Jacob to grab a hold of him and to literally wrestle with him all night long in order again to strengthen Jacob and grow his faith and get him to a place where he is willing to walk out towards his brother tomorrow when he sees him. So there's a lot here, and I'll just say this. There is no way any of us can pull out of this passage everything that God has in this for us. I would just encourage you in the days ahead Marinate on this. Marinate on this. There's so much here for all of us, and God will have something for you as you do. During the night, verse 22, Jacob quickly took his two wives, two female servants, 11 sons, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions, and notice Jacob was left all alone. How do I say this? God wants us to live in community with each other. He wants us to have relationships, wants us to establish those and have friends and all of that. We've talked about that, and we will continue to do that. But there are some works of God that God needs to do in us and with us that he has to get us alone with him and have nobody else around. Because so often we are running from our fears or we're running from God and we never allow ourselves to stay in one place quiet enough and alone with not enough with God enough to begin to allow him to come in and in a sense allow us to struggle with him or even give us that opportunity because we're on to something else. And one of the things that we learn in this passage is you and I need to learn to stay in those uncomfortable places, but to do it always with God. We may not like where we're at. We may not feel good. It may not feel good. We may be afraid. We may be in pain. We may be experiencing and feeling all kinds of different emotions and feelings. And I know we don't like to be there. We like to numb it. We like to get past it and whatever, but there are times where God wants us to sit in it, but always to sit in it with him alone. Are we there? Are we growing to that point? That's even part of the reason why at times in our worship, Nicole will be led to just lead all of us to just say, let's just stay here because God is working and we don't need to keep moving to something else. We need to let God continue to sort of be here, and we need to continue to struggle with him in this moment. And here's the thing, too. It's okay to struggle with God. God welcomes us struggling with him. Just like with Job. Job, and we talked about it, all that Job went through, but Job got through it by partnering and holding on to God through it all even though it was a tremendous struggle for him. Because we will never get to where we need to be if we're struggling without God. And that's one of the things God is going to show us here. I'm willing to struggle with you and strive with you. In fact, when he renames Jacob to Israel, the name Israel means God strives. God is willing to strive with us. God is willing to struggle with us or allow us to struggle with him. God is willing, as Nicole prayed, to get down in the muck and mire and dirt of our lives and get dirty and and be like, you know, the pig that, that wallows around and stuff with us and all that. God's not afraid of that. God's willing to get down into it, so let's let him get down into it and get to the core of what's really going on in our heart and soul. That's the only way we get past it. That's the only way we face our fears and overcome it. And what we learn is that Jacob's real struggle isn't with his brother. His greatest fear is his brother. His greatest struggle is, is with God because he's struggling to totally just rely completely on God and God alone because Jacob's always had like a backup. He's always had something else out there that he could turn to some plan, some something in his own. No, God's saying, no, just me, just me. So this man begins to wrestle with him until daybreak. We learn that this man is God. Think about that. God loves us so much that the God of glory is willing to come down and allow a human being to throw him around in wrestling. And when you think about wrestling, Wrestling is a very intimate encounter. I did a little wrestling in high school. You're, sl- you're swapping sweat and snot and everything else. You're as close to another human being as you get, and you're all wrapped together. And there's some lesson in there for us. God is saying, I'm okay to let you grab a hold of me and get close to me and wrap yourself around me, and let's get a little sweaty and snotty, and let's, let's get through this, but do this by clinging to me and by struggling with me and wrestling with me. And the Almighty God of glory is allowing a mere human being to do this. What's that tell us about our God? When the man saw, verse 25, that he could not defeat Jacob, well, only because, again, he was allowing Jacob to not defeat him. He literally struck the socket of his hip so that the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Now, notice something here. You've got God wrestling with Jacob in human form, and God's allowing him to just wrestle with him and struggle with him, right? Right? But yet we also see that this is God because all it takes is just a touch and his hip just goes out. It shows, again, that if God would have wanted to, God could have pinned Jacob a long time ago. In fact, God could have vaporized Jacob if he wanted to in his presence. All this shows is how gracious and condescending and humbling God is to come down and be willing to wrestle with a human being in order to strengthen him. But again, that shows the lens that God will go to for each of us in order to grow our faith and strengthen us. Do we realize that tonight? God is here tonight, and he's saying, I'll do whatever it takes in your life as God to help you face your fear and overcome your fear. I will do everything I can as God to help you grow your faith and strengthen your faith so that you will be willing to face your fears and overcome those things. I will do it. I'll come in human form and wrestle you if that's what you want, but, but I'll do it because I love you that much. And God puts Jacob, by dislocating his hip in a position where now wrestling-wise, obviously, he cannot win in his own strength. I don't know whether you've ever wrestled, but if you have a dislocated hip, you're, you're done. All Jacob could do now is just hold on. That's all he can do. When you have a dislocated hip and you're trying to wrestle somebody, all you can do is cling to your opponent, if you will, and just hold on for dear life. And that's all that Jacob's doing. Why? Because God is showing him, that's what I want you to do. I want you to stop striving and struggling with all of this and just rest in me and just totally learn to rely on me. The man said to Jacob, let me go for the dawn is breaking I will not let you go, Jacob replied, unless you bless me. In his weakened and weary state, all Jacob desires is the blessing of God. To where God wants to get all of us. God just, that's all I want. Your favor, your blessing on my life. The man asked him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. No longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. The word fought is a very important word in this passage. It means to exert oneself in order to persevere. That's what God's looking for. So often we don't hang in there in our struggles with things long enough Exerting ourselves with God, struggling with God in order to overcome it. We're, we're like children many times. It's like, oh, I, I can't get it on the first try. I'm done. I'm quit. And God wants to build within us that willingness to hold on and struggle with Him and exert ourselves in order to persevere so that we can work through these things with Him and get stronger and become. Stronger in our faith. But the only way we're going to do that is to struggle through things with God and persevere. And God commends him for that. You are working through this, and you're doing it with me, by wrestling with me. Jacob then asked, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name, the man replied. And you know why God responded that way? Because Jacob already knew his name. God had told him his name back in Bethel, I am. Then he blessed Jacob there. Notice, Jacob is now a broken man, but a blessed man. That's where God takes all of us. God usually breaks us before he blesses us. God humbles us before he exalts us. That's the way of God. Some of us need to be broken before God so that we can experience the blessing of God. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, explaining, certainly I have seen God face to face and I've survived. Or literally in the Hebrew, I've escaped. Wow. I mean, again, this passage is just, it blows me away of what our God will do. And if he did that with Jacob, he'll do that in his own way with all of us. He may not come down in human form and literally wrestle with us, but he allows us into his presence to struggle with him through things. But we've got to be willing to struggle and stay in it and persevere and exert ourselves, and we've got to do it clinging to God. That's the way we grow. That's the way we get stronger. Not by quitting after the first try or the second try or saying it's too hard and giving up. That's not how it's done. God will sometimes reduce us to where all we can do is cling to him, as Jacob found out. So notice, the sun rose over him as he crossed over Peniel, And that's significant because, in a sense, him physically crossing over Peniel was showing us that a spiritual breakthrough in Jacob's life has occurred. After encountering God, Jacob walked straighter with a limp than he walked before God touched him. Before God touched him. And this is why even to this day the Israelites do not eat the sinew which is attached to the socket of the hip because he struck the socket of Jacob's hip near the attached sinew. We'll talk more about that next week. I want to go back to verse 25 in closing tonight. I know my time is short. But I want to zero in on this. The word struck that's translated that way in the Net Bible literally is a touch of God that produces a lasting effect. When God touched Jacob as they were wrestling, Jacob was never the same again. He walked with that limp the rest of his life. God wants to touch us in such a profound way that it has a lasting <clears throat> effect. God is not interested in short-term things. He's not interested in easy fixes. God is interested in allowing us to engage with him at such a level that we will allow him to touch us in order to produce a lasting effect. Some of you here are watching from your home tonight. You may have turned us on and you're gripped by some kind of fear in your life. There's some kind of fear that you're struggling with. God wants to touch you in such a way that you can be strengthened as you face that fear and learn to overcome it. And God wants to do that with all of us here tonight. He wants to encourage us not to run from our fear or deny our fears, but to face our fears with him. Struggle through things and be strengthened by him as we see that he will sustain us and uphold us as we face those fears. Struggling with God, but allowing him to touch us at such a deep, deep level that it will provide a lasting effect. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for allowing us insight into your ministry to this one man in the Old Testament, your servant Jacob. Someone who was so afraid He was getting ready to face the greatest fear of his life. And yet, Lord, we see you ministering to him and working in his life in order to help him to face that fear and overcome it. And God, you're the same with us. Whatever our fears are, whatever the sources of our anxieties and worries and cares, God, you are right here willing to go to whatever length you need to go to as God to help us to overcome those things, to provide deliverance and rescue and salvation and healing. And so, God, I pray tonight that maybe there's been some deliverance here tonight in someone's life. Maybe there's been some strengthening here in someone's life tonight. And maybe there's just been some encouragement here tonight, Lord, in someone's life, because they have realized that, God, if you're willing to come down, and wrestle with another human being because you want to see them face their fears and overcome it, then God, what will you do in my life? And God, you'll allow me to struggle with you through this too. And God, I just need to keep exerting myself in order to persevere and work through it rather than to try to get it done so quickly because it might take time. And so, Lord, I just pray that whatever, whatever needs you see in our life, God, that we might have the faith to know that we can turn to you because you're the answer. You're the one that can bring deliverance and healing and strength like no one else can. And, Lord, we know you always want to strengthen the faith of your people so that we don't have to live in fear, but we live in awe and wonder of you. Thank you for this wonderful time we've had together with you tonight, God, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us a great week, God, as we live in the unseen realities around us, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.